0: Well, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. We will read it, but first of all, again, Merry Christmas to you all. Nothing says Merry Christmas quite like the opening of a new Star Wars movie. It seems to roll around uh, every once in a while and And this was the last installment in the trilogy. I will not give you spoilers because some of you did not see it. But as we ended the Star Wars trilogy with a a bang, and it's gone, and it's done, uh, so too we have the privilege of ending uh, this trilogy of songs that we've been looking at for the Christmas season. We began with Zacharias' song. That was sung over his son, John the Baptist. An amazing song. And then we moved into the angels' song in Luke chapter 2 last Sunday. We saw glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. We were able to meditate on that and then join in with all of the angels in responding through song. These show-stopping tunes, these songs that break into the narrative, just declare something amazing is happening. Something that is too brilliant to just be spoken, it must be sung. And so we come to the final song in our trilogy of Christmas songs this morning. Luke chapter 2. It's the song of a man named Simeon. Obscure, ordinary. I don't really know much about him at all. And yet his song is one of my favorite songs. If you're going to give Academy Awards to people in the Gospel of Luke... I think Simeon gets the best supporting actor. People don't really remember him. They definitely don't remember his song. And yet I think his song deserves all of our attention this morning. So Luke chapter 2, verse 21. We will read all the way down to verse 35 and then ask God's blessing on our time together. When eight days had passed before Jesus' circumcision, his name was then called Jesus Jesus the name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought with Jesus, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy, set apart to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation or comfort or help of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or the Lord's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the customs of the law, the law, then he took Jesus into his arms, and he blessed God, and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your slave to depart in peace, according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all Peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Father, these words are profound. We are on holy ground as we look at Simeon, as we listen to him. We want want his voice to break through uh, the crazy chaos in the temple as we walk in Mary and Joseph's sandals this morning as we feel the stone between beneath our feet, as we, as we smell the smells of the sacrifices, as we hear the, the yelling and the, the crazy mob around the temple, as, as we see this man looking, longing, searching, and then his eyes connect with this child. And because of everything that he knows about this child, he cannot help but break into song. God, we want to hear that song. We want to hear it clearly. And so we ask the impossible. We ask for something supernatural, not just that our eyes would see the text, but that the eyes of our heart would be open. Give us the gift of illumination. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law that we would walk away amazed, just like Simeon, just like Mary and Joseph, at the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name for his glory. Amen. Well, there are three ways that we can uh, split this text up, three main headings. Let's first look at the setting, the whole setting of the stage for what's going to come with Simeon and his song. The setting in verse 21. It's eight days after Jesus has been born. He's going to be circumcised. That is in the law of God. You had to circumcise the male babies on the eighth day. So the eighth day was the, the time for circumcision. But because when Abraham was circumcised, he was also given a new name from God. Remember, he went from Abram to Abraham on the day he was circumcised. So the Jews took that and said, let's also make it a custom to name our child on the eighth day. That's not in the law. That was just a custom that they decided since Abraham was named on the day he was circumcised, let's name our children on the day that they're circumcised. So eight days have passed, Jesus is circumcised, and his name is Jesus. It's given to him, and it was the name that was given to him by the angels before he was even conceived, We choose the names of our kids, and they mean a lot, and they matter a lot, and we say them over and over and over again every single day. We choose their names, but not Mary and Joseph. Just imagine the conversations that people would have with Mary and Joseph. Hey, why did you pick the name Jesus? Is it a family name? Did you like the name? Why did you pick the name Jesus? Their answer is, we didn't pick it. God told us that was his name. And then they say, okay, that's fine. When did God tell you that that was going to be the name of the child? And they say, before he was even conceived. We knew the destiny of this kid before he was ever conceived. So Jesus is named on the day that he is circumcised. And then verse 22, in the temple, The days for the purification, this is 40 days after giving birth, according to the law of Moses, are completed. They bring Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So they're going to kind of double dip here on the same uh, journey to the temple. Mary has to be uh, deemed clean. She has to be uh, considered clean before the temple, before God. After 40 days after having a baby, she's unclean, and then on that 40th day, she can be declared clean. So she has to give an offering, and she will be declared clean. Also, Jesus has to be given because He is the firstborn male. You can see in that parenthetical statement in verse 23, they're going to present Jesus to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. This was also a custom, began in Exodus chapter 13. It was a practice based on God's protection of the firstborn among His own people during the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Since they were protected, they were made safe They decided to to say these children belong to God. He protected them. He made them safe. He kept them alive so they are His. Sacred, set apart unto Him. So there's two things that they have to do under the law. Actually, three. First is circumcision. Second is the purification for Mary. And third is this offering of Jesus to the Lord. So they do this, these three aspects of the law. In verse 24, they're going to offer a sacrifice. This was the sacrifice for Mary to bring her and cleanse her. A pair of turtle doves, and this is also on behalf of Jesus, this is again the double dipping. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is a sacrifice of very poor people. According to the law, the sacrifice would have to be a lamb and a pigeon, but provision was made for poor families to offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so these poor people, Mary and Joseph. Again, as if Jesus wasn't born into a lowly enough state, in a manger, in a feeding trough, in a place where there is no room. He's also born to a family that is so poor, they have to take that lesser of two sacrifices and offer it. And so they do. Why this paragraph? Why all of these aspects of the law being fulfilled? There's three mentions of the law, In every single way, his parents are keeping the law here, and that enables Jesus to be the perfect law keeper. One commentator says it this way, in his circumcision, Jesus received the lawful sign of the covenant. In his presentation, Jesus was consecrated to God as the law required. Then all through the rest of his life, he lived in perfect obedience to the whole will of God. He did all of this for our salvation. We are saved, yes, by Christ's death on the cross, but we are also saved by his own life on earth, in which he fulfilled all the righteousness that we owe to God. Even at eight days old, Jesus is winning for us a perfect record of righteousness. No obedience on Jesus's part, then no perfect sacrifice for us. And so his parents, under the law, keep it so that Jesus would be perfect. R.C. Sproul says it this way, Jesus is the one destined to fulfill the law in every detail and to win the blessings of the covenant for his people. Where we fail and become covenant breakers deserving the curse of the covenant, Jesus, our champion, succeeds at his role as the new Adam, the supreme covenant keeper. We are not merely redeemed by the death of Jesus. We are redeemed by the life of Jesus the merit of righteousness is earned for us by Jesus' life of perfect obedience. Jesus is not merely part of a meaningless ritual. He is embarking on a course of redemption as the new Adam. I love that. He's embarking in these moments on the course of redemption as the new Adam, the perfect law keeper. So that's our setting in the temple Chaos abounding, three laws being kept by Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Number two, let's look at the song. The setting leads us into number two, the song, verse 25. There's a man, we have to meet the man who's going to sing the song. There's a man in Jerusalem. His name is Simeon. We don't know anything about this man other than what's given for us in these few short verses. He's obscure, he's ordinary. He's not identified as a priest. We don't know his occupation. we don't know where he lives. We don't know who his family is. We don't know what his house looked like. We don't know if he's rich or if he's poor. We don't know if he's liked or if he's disliked. We just know these things. He's righteous and devout, verse 25. He's looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. And we are told in verse 26 that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own two eyes. He's looking for the consolation of Israel, verse 25. What's the consolation? We we sing that, we're going to sing that, Israel's strength and consolation. Consolation, it's the word uh, parakletos, which means the, the helper or comforter, somebody who comes alongside. It's the title that's given to the Holy Spirit. He's our helper and he's our comforter. Simeon is looking for the helper of Israel. They can't help themselves. He's looking for the comforter of Israel. They are in pain and discomfort apart from the Messiah. This is why we sing tidings of comfort and joy, of consolation and joy. In a world filled with pain, tidings of comfort and joy is going to be ushered in, and Simeon's waiting for it. And the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not see death until he had seen this consolation. But we aren't told when that happened. We aren't told how old Simeon was. Most people think he's very old. Maybe he wasn't very old. We aren't told. But in the white space of Scripture, with sanctified imagination, I just have to wonder how many times he went to the temple looking for this child. Now, We're going to see that the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to finally say, go now, he's here. But did Simeon ever, on his own strength, in his own power, decide, I'm going to go today, I'm going to look, I'm going to search. Maybe today's the day. Maybe goes up to some couple with a little baby. Oh, can I see? Nope, not the Messiah. (laughs) Maybe walking up, maybe, can I hold? No, okay. Just wondering, waiting. Verse 27 this day, he shows up in the Spirit. The Spirit leads him into the temple. And when the parents bring in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law that we already talked about in the setting of this song, he's going to see them. And Again, there's a lot that happens between seeing and singing. Does the Holy Spirit say, this is the one? What a crazy scene. This is like... Grand Central Station on a busy day in the temple. Just people all over the place. Loud noises, lots of dialogue, lots of shouting, buying and selling. And Simeon looks and he sees a young couple, a poor couple, walking in with a little baby. And apparently he goes up to them and asks if he can hold their child. I don't know how customary this is for people back then to say, hey, can I hold your baby? But Mary's apparently okay with saying, here's my child. Imagine this scene. Imagine him warmly greeting Mary and Joseph and congratulating them on the birth of their son. What must that have been like? As he's walking up to Mary and Joseph and he says, congratulations on the birth of your son. And they say, how do you know it's a boy? Maybe that is why Mary's totally fine giving... Jesus to him. The Holy Spirit has told me. Imagine how Simeon held baby Jesus. Have you ever held a baby? It's one of the most beautiful and terrifying things in the world, right? right? You have to hold firm enough that they don't fall, but gentle enough that you don't crush them. There's this tension of we have to be very careful, but also very gentle, and Simeon has to be very careful because he's holding the salvation of the world in his arms, so got to be very careful with this baby, can't squeeze too tightly, firm as to not drop the child, gentle as to not squeeze. And if you just stop and think, it, just, it gives me goosebumps to think of Simeon holding Jesus, Maybe the swaddling cloth had fallen in his face and he just moves it over and he sees a little baby and he knows that this is so much more than a little child. And he just stares at Christ. How long? Mary and Joseph standing there watching going, "Um, should we we get our child? (laughs) Total stranger asking. And then... As he stares at the face of the Son of God, he cannot contain what's going on in his heart. And so he breaks out in this song, this poetic stanza saying... He takes him, verse 28, into his arms and he blessed God and he said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant or literally slave. I have been your slave. I had a job to do. You're my master. I'm your slave. I had a job to do. My job was to wait for the consolation of Israel to see him, to announce that he's here and then I can die. And I've seen him. I've seen the one that you promised and I can depart in peace. I've seen him. Now, dismiss. The first words, now dismiss, in Latin, nunc dimittis. Uh, that's actually the, the title we talked about, the Benedictus. We've talked about Gloria in at Chelsea's Dale. There's a lot of Latin songs being sung at Christmas, and here is another Latin song, now dismiss. Now you've released, I've Done My Job. And it's all been according to your word. You promised that I was going to see the Christ before I died. Now I can die because, verse 29, according to your word, according to everything you said, it happened. God is trustworthy. Simeon had waited and waited and waited. I wonder if he ever thought during his waiting, maybe I got this wrong. Or maybe God got this wrong. Maybe there's something wrong here. Maybe he thought it was going to be this generation, but it's next generation. He said I wasn't going to die, and I haven't seen the Messiah yet waiting and waiting and waiting but never waiting in vain. And so Simeon says, according to your word you're trustworthy. I have waited and I have seen your salvation. Verse 30. I've seen your salvation. Not my eyes have seen an aspect of your salvation. Not part of your salvation has been revealed. All of your salvation has been revealed. Jesus is the one who's going to do all the saving. He's the one who's going to do all the work for the saving. Every aspect of salvation is wrapped up in this little child. And this salvation has been prepared, verse 31, in the presence of all people. Anyone can get in on this. You and I can get in on this. Anyone can get in. All of the peoples are involved in the hope of this salvation. Again, God's done the work of preparing God has prepared, the work has been done by God and God alone so that the good news has been given to us, we can receive it, we can hold on to it, we can cling to it, and know that Jesus has accomplished it all. Then verse 32, Jesus is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. He's the light of revelation to the Gentiles. You can see in my Bible, it's in Uh, all capital letters, that means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's actually a quotation from several places in the Old Testament. It's kind of an amalgamation of uh, all sorts of different places in Isaiah specifically. Isaiah chapter 9, chapter 42, 49, 51, and 60, they all say something to this effect. And he just kind of pushes it all together and says the aspects of what all of those prophecies in Isaiah are saying. That the Messiah is not coming just for Israel. But Messiah is coming for all peoples, including the Gentiles. You realize that Simeon, a Jewish man in the temple 2,000 years ago, is singing about you in this line. Jesus is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, to you and to me, so that we can be brought in. All peoples are involved. And Jesus is the glory of Israel. This isn't the glory that Israel has intrinsically who they are. No, it's the glory given to them because Jesus is the glorious one. He is being given to Israel. And his father and his mother are amazed at the things which were being said about him. All the things, not just this song, but what's happening in this moment. Of course, they're amazed. There's nothing so amazing than Simeon holding this precious child, and saying, this is the one we've waited for. J. A. Packer says, nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth, God with us. This must have seemed like another just typical normal day for Simeon. And yet, as he enters into the temple, something miraculous happens. Now, Simeon says, I'm ready to die. I'm okay to leave the world. I'm okay. God has fulfilled his promises. I'm okay to die because I've seen the hope of Israel. That's his song. But his song doesn't really end there. The stanza ends there, but he's going to continue speaking. And so number three, not only the setting in the song, but let's look at the final statement that Simeon makes. Verses 33 through 35, the final statement. His father and mother are amazed. Of course they are. And Simeon blessed them. Just like Zacharias. Remember, Zacharias says, I bless uh, God for eight verses and then my son for four verses. God comes first and then my son. God's much bigger, much more praise, much more singing going on for him and then a little bit for my son. Same thing here. Singing for God and then a statement given and a blessing given to Mary. He turns to Mary and he says, Behold, pay attention, listen carefully. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon's song and his statement reveal two surprising aspects of Jesus's ministry. Two very surprising aspects for a normal Jewish person back in that day, thinking about the Messiah and the coming of the Savior. The first surprising aspect is that Simeon's song says Jesus has come not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. The Gentiles are included in the work of the Messiah. That would have been shocking. It is shocking. Jesus himself in Nazareth is going to preach that he as Messiah has come for the Gentiles and the Jews in that synagogue will try and throw him off of a cliff because he said, I didn't come just for you, I came for everyone. But the second shocking thing comes in this statement. Not just that Jesus is coming for the Gentiles, that the Messiah is coming for the Gentiles, but also that the Messiah will conquer by being conquered that the Messiah will suffer. There there was no idea, no concept in the minds of the disciples as they're walking with Jesus of a dying Messiah. No concept of a suffering servant, even though we see that clearly in Isaiah 53. They just didn't have that idea. Messiah shows up, he destroys our political oppressor, and that's the end of it. And he rules and he reigns. And yet Simeon says, no, Messiah is going to suffer. Messiah is going to be opposed People are going to conquer him, and it's going to hurt you, Mary. One pastor says it this way, Christmas is the most unsentimental way of looking at life. Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday. That brings some discomfort on both sides. Many Christians can't help but notice that more and more of public festivities surrounding Christmas studiously avoid any references to its Christian origins. The background music in stores is moving from joy to the world to have a holly jolly Christmas. On the other hand, non-religious people can't help but find that the older meaning of Christmas keeps intruding, uninvited, for instance, through the music of Christmas carols. It can be irritating to have to answer a child's question, what does the music mean when it says, born to give them second birth? As a Christian Christian, I am glad to share the virtues of that day with the entirety of society, but my fear, however, is that its true roots will become more and more hidden to most of the population. Then he says this, But the truth is that Christmas, like God himself, is both more wondrous and more threatening than most understand more wondrous and more threatening than most understand. In Simeon's song and in his statement, we're reminded of this reality. Christmas is wonderful. This child has been born for the salvation of his people. Gentiles even included in that. But it's also threatening because he will be opposed and Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. There are four things that Simeon says about Jesus, and the effects that he will have in verses 34 and 35. Number one, he says, This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Some people take that to mean, the, the fall in humility and the rise in hopefulness before the Lord. Now, that's not an untrue statement. Many people did that. You have to be broken, poor in spirit before you can ever be exalted. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. These are true statements. I just don't think that's what Simeon is saying here. I think he's saying Jesus has come, to use Jesus' own words, to bring a sword, to divide people. Some people will fall over his statements and say, I don't want to be a part of that. And judgment will be heaped upon them. And some people will say, I want to be a part of that. I believe the message of the gospel. He's going to divide people. Number two, he's going to be opposed. The division that he brings to the people around him will bring opposition into his life. He will be opposed. People will stand toe-to-toe against him in hatred, in opposition, and finally, in killing him. At the end, he says, number three, that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed because of Jesus. The the word thoughts there is a word that is almost exclusively used negatively in the New Testament. So wrong thoughts, wrong desires. You, You live with Jesus for a while, just like Judas did, and those thoughts will come out. Your heart will be exposed. He knows you, and he will reveal your heart. So he was destined to bring a fall and rise to Israel. He will be opposed. He will reveal hearts. And finally, verse 35. A sword will pierce Mary's soul. What is this sword? This sword is the suffering that Mary herself would experience watching her son. It's hard enough To watch your son grow up and make terrible decisions. Uh, My son Ethan, bless his sweet soul, gets a present on Christmas that I say, hey, you can do this with that present, but you cannot do this or else it will break. And one day later, he did this. (laughs) And he comes to me in tears and he said, it broke. And oh, I wanted to say, I told you so, and you never listened. But I didn't. I just hugged him. I said, this is a good time to learn a lesson here. Being a parent is a hard thing. But my son's never really been opposed. And if he ever is opposed, he probably had a reason that he gave to the opposition. (laughs) Probably had a, a part to play in making someone angry. It's hard enough watching just a normal son go through difficulties. It's quite another to watch the Son of God go through these difficulties. Mary's going to have to watch Jesus leave home. It's one of the first places where her soul will be pierced because Jesus is not destined to stay in her household. Even as he's a young boy, he says, I must be about my father's business, and one day that business is going to take me out of your home. She's going to watch Jesus be followed by so many fake followers. She's going to see her son be followed by people that are going to say, on Tuesday, he's the son of God, and on Wednesday, I hate that guy. She's going to watch her son be rejected by the entire religious system in Israel. Here's a guy claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah, who is the pinnacle of all of the religious system, and yet all of the religious system is going to oppose him. She's going to watch people plot against his life, wanting to kill him. Maybe even some of her own friends in Nazareth, where she raises Jesus... In that synagogue, when Jesus is taken by the crowd and they want to throw him off a cliff, I am sure that Mary knew some of those people that said he's worthy of death. A sword piercing her soul that even some of her friends say, your son's a lunatic. She's going to watch Jesus do some things that I'm sure she thinks, ah, that's going to get you in trouble, like cleansing the temple twice. Jesus, people don't like you enough. Don't do anything else. He stirs up strife. Just as it says, he's going to bring a fall and arrives to people. And finally, she's going to watch him be betrayed, mocked, falsely accused, beaten, scourged, and nailed to a cross. The cross that Jesus would be nailed to is not very high. I tend to think that they're looking very high up in the sky, but had to be high enough so that dogs couldn't bite at the feet, but low enough so that you could place a ladder on it and walk up to the top and fix uh, the reason why that criminal was being crucified up above their head. Remember Jesus' sign, here's the king of the Jews. I wonder if Mary, at the foot of the cross, able to touch her son's feet, bloodied and nailed to a piece of wood. I wonder if as she clings to him, she remembers these words. A sword will pierce your soul. Simeon, in the kindness of God, is preparing her to watch her son suffer. Simeon is caring for her by telling her of the sorrow that she would experience. That's why Christmas is disturbing and threatening before it is comforting. It has to be. Because Jesus came not just to give us joy and comfort in a temporal sense of just bring happiness and cheer. He came to bring us a joy that goes deeper than any other joy because He, as the light of the world, would be swallowed up by darkness. The only way He could bring salvation to us, to us is as if He is the wrath bearer on the cross. He bears the punishment. He bears the judgment. And if you understand that about Christmas, then you will understand the joy that we have at Christmas is so comforting But if you don't understand the disturbing nature of what Christmas is all about, that Jesus was born to die, then you will never understand the truest joy that can be found at Christmas. Jesus can only save by bearing wrath. And so Simeon concludes, after singing this glorious song, he says a hard word to Mary but a word that I believe will prepare her, encourage her, and undergird her soul as she watches her son. Simeon said, I'm ready to die. Verse 29, I'm ready to die. The reality is anyone who understands Christmas, the disturbing nature of Christmas, the threatening nature of Christmas, that we deserve the death that Jesus died, but he showed up on earth to live a perfect life, to die in our place so that we wouldn't have to die that death. If you understand that message, then you too are ready to die, just like Simeon. You can say the exact same thing that Simeon says. He says, take me home, Jesus. Take me home. We say that because, just like Simeon, we have seen the salvation of the Lord. We've seen his salvation. Anybody who has seen Christ in a saving sense is ready to die. But anybody who has not seen Christ in a saving sense is not ready to die. If you've seen Christ with eyes of faith, you're prepared to die. So my question to you this morning is, are you ready to die? Can you say with Simeon these words, take your servant home? You don't get Christmas and you don't get to say those words until you recognize you cannot save yourself and you need the comfort and hope of somebody else. So as we wrap up, This trilogy of songs, I think we can really see two responses that are needed. Christmas confronts us. These songs encourage and comfort, but confront us. And they require two responses. The first response of Christmas is the response of faith. If you understand why Jesus was born, then you won't be able to help yourself but say, Help, I need Christ. I need the salvation that he alone can provide. Christmas demands the response of faith. This is the gospel. This is why we sing, Enjoy the World. He's born to give us second birth. What's the second birth? Why does Jesus say that to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Why does he say that? What did you do to contribute to your birth? What did you do? Absolutely nothing, right? You just brought pain and suffering to your mom. That's all you did in the day of your birth. You didn't choose the day you were going to be born. You didn't choose the parents to whom you were going to be born. You didn't do anything. And Jesus says, if you want to be saved, if you want to go into the kingdom of heaven... What do you need to do? Nicodemus, what must I do? Jesus says, you can't do anything. Just like you didn't do anything to contribute to your physical birth, you can't do anything to contribute to your spiritual birth. Every religion in the world says, you do something. Right? God's up there on this mountain. You make a trek to get up to him. He gives you a path. He helps you out some way. But you do the work to get to him. Christianity and Christianity alone says... God doesn't stay on that mountain and he doesn't give you a path to get to him. He walks down that mountain in Jesus Christ. He grabs you, your dead body that has no life in it. He breathes life into it and he says, follow me. And he brings you back to God. So you must respond in faith to the gospel. And I just want to plead with you, if you are here this morning and you, you don't know what would happen if you died, you don't know if you can say with Simeon, I'm ready to die, take me home. I want to plead with you don't, don't walk out these doors until you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you are saved by His work and not your own. That your sins have been forgiven by His work and not your own good works to so try and balance it out. Lunch can wait, heaven and hell hang in the balance. So don't leave until you know, like Simeon, I'm ready to die i not afraid to die because my sins have been paid for by the gracious work of another. The second response is the response of trust. There's a response of faith where we believe in the promises of God and the gospel, but then if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've received the gospel, you believe the gospel, you cling to the hope of Christ, the second response is that you keep on clinging. You keep on trusting. Just like Simeon, you know God has made a promise and he's trustworthy and he's never going to back out of that promise. J.C. Ryle says, if Simeon, with so few helps and so many discouragements, could live such a life of faith, how much more ought we with a finished, completed Bible and a full gospel So let us strive like Simeon to walk by faith and look forward? God has never broken a promise. Not one. And He's not about to start now. You can trust and his promises pin every single hope that you have on Christ. That's why we sing the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Jesus. Christopher Ashe says it this way Simeon waited, but he did not wait in vain because he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and he held him in his arms. We too wait. We look back at Christmas to the first coming of Jesus as a tiny baby. We remember on Good Friday His death for sinners. We rejoice on Easter Sunday in His bodily resurrection. We celebrate on Ascension Day His glorious ascension to the Father's right hand. We delight at Pentecost in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to dwell in our hearts as the down payment of eternal life. And we look forward at Advent at this time to the second Advent of Christ to his second coming. We wait, we wait, and we wait. But just like Simeon did not wait in vain, we too will not wait in vain. People will mock us, yes. Folks will doubt his return, yes. But one day, he will come back, not as a baby, but in visible glory to judge the world and rescue his people. And then he says this, and I want you to hear this clearly. He says, All of our little waitings, as hard as they may be, are taken up in the one great waiting, the expectation that governs them all, the longing for Christ's return. In the delight and wonder of Simeon, as he held the baby Jesus, we see the foretaste of the wonder and amazement that we too shall feel when the Lord Jesus Christ appears in glory. And brothers and sisters, we are assured that our waiting is never in vain. Father, we thank you so much for this song of Simeon that points to Israel's strength and consolation, the help that had to come from the work of another. We can't do the work ourselves. We are helpless and hopeless on our own. How many times must Simeon have said, is today the day? When will he come? And then finally he says, he's here. God, I pray that we would live in that beautiful middle of already not yet. You have come once and you have promised to come again. So help us to live the way that Simeon did, waiting and adoring you trusting you in the midst of the waiting. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.